Hello, and welcome to a special Sunday evening edition of the 94 NBA podcast. Of course, it is a special one because, as you all know by now, Jimmy Butler has finally been traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. So we, uh, Corbin and I were messaging. We were like, we just got to get a podcast about this, and we decided to do it Sunday evening. Corbin, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing good, man. Like you said, news breaks same, right after we finish our normal scheduled <laughs> podcast, the news would follow. Of course, it's the NBA. That's so. just how things go. Um, exactly. <laughs> so uh, the terms of the deal, um, it was Jimmy Butler and Justin Patton, um, the rookie big man who's had like two foot surgeries, had his, his option decline, so pretty much not in the Sixers' plans at any means. Um, went to Philly for Dario Saric, Robert Covington, Jared Bayless to match the salaries and a future 2022 20, second round pick, which is, I mean, not, I don't want to say completely meaningless, but certainly nothing to, to talk about really. Um, so yeah, my initial reaction um, about this deal was that it looks pretty good for both sides considering the circumstances. Now, I would have hoped that Minnesota, you know, if we could travel back in time and even if the Timberwolves could travel back in time, I'm pretty sure they would have taken that heat offer that was reported to be centered around Josh Richardson, a first round yeah. pick and some salary filler, especially with how... Um, how well Richardson you know, has started the season so far. Um, but considering that they didn't take it then, and considering the report that Richardson was taken off the table recently, this is probably their next best deal. I mean, you get Robert Covington, a very good defender, who can also hit the three. Um, you know, the first 3 and D wing that the Timberwolves have had on their roster in a long, long time. Um, and you get Dario Saric, who you know, is struggling so far this season. Um, but going off of last season and going off what he's shown throughout his career is that he can play make a little, he can space the floor, and he can be a capable kind of go-to secondary or, or tertiary scorer um, you know, in the right environment. Um, I want to see if Sarge can get back to last season's level of play because, you know, so far, again, he's struggling so far. And this season, last season, he put up 14.5 points, 6.7 rebounds, and basically 2.5 assists per game and knocked down 39% of his threes. So if he can get back to that, you're, you're looking at a really, really ideal fit next to Towns in the front court should Thibodeau go that way. And, you know, we can talk about this later, what Thibodeau might do with their rotation now but that's a nice piece next to towns and he also fits their timeline he's 25 covington 28 but he feels i mean he's on a, they're both on really reasonable deals covington's signed for the next four years i think and sarge is signed for the next at least for next season as well so um they have good deals they fit really well in minnesota i mean for what they needed um and then philly you know from their perspective obviously they get a third star to pair with simmons and Embiid, and you know it would have been a better fit if they could have gotten a guy like Paul George last summer. But, you know, you get the talent and then you see what you can figure out and what you can, you know, support the, the big three with. You know, it's all about talent because stars drive winning in the NBA. And, and now I think that the Sixers have probably three of the of the top 25 players in the league. I know Embiid and Butler are both in the top 12 for me. And Simmons is kind of more a questionable player. But I think he's probably in the top 25 by now. Um so, you know, what were your what were your initial reactions about the trade um, for both perspectives and now that this drama is over? I mean, that's that's that was my first thought. Thank goodness it's finally over. <laughs> I mean, it's just been such a I mean, the media has been all over it. So many different angles. But then that weird lapse, I been thinking it's a month and a half from when he said the trade request and the flurry of, you know, or what could, let's say, Phoenix do, and what could L.A. do, and what could, you know, fill-in-the-blank team do to get Jimmy Butler? Then the Wolves decided to keep him, and it was just this weird, just awkward, you know, general soreness period, I like to call it, where, you know, Jimmy Butler was picking certain games to play, usually coinciding with national games, and 
how Tibbs was handling it and Carl Anthony Towns and his lack of aggression. Was it due to the team concept or what? I mean, the team um, chemistry or was it just him having a down season? I mean, it was so much to unpack and there was also nothing to unpack. So I'm glad that we can actually start moving forward with Butler on a good on a, on a, on a team that's, you know, Therefore, we can look at them for what they are, look at him for who he is on this team and all the wonderful questions that come with it, while also, you know, letting Minnesota just kind of ride out. Um, and, yeah, I, I like it for both sides. I really wish that Minnesota had taken a Miami offer. thought that was a, a lot uh, better of an offer, especially with the way Josh Richardson's been playing. But Tibbs get what's, gets what he wants with Sarich and Covington and players who can fit into his win-now um, stage so that he can, quote-unquote, contend with this team. There's not These aren't prospects. Um they're more known quantities in this case. Covington, as you mentioned, being older than Sarich, but both of them being players that you kind of know what they're about. They've been in the league for a minute now, and you know he can kind of put some interesting lineups around. But I think this also resets the roster to um, Carl Anthony Towns, um, to a lesser extent, um, Andrew Wiggins, and then to an even lesser extent, Derrick Rose. <laughs> um, well, the key thing is that, you know, Thibodeau, yeah, that is a key point, that these guys are not prospects, and they're not, more importantly, they're not first-round picks. If they wanted picks, they had the, they had as many picks as they wanted from the Houston Rockets on the table. Um, yes, but, they did. But they wouldn't have gotten any players to contribute because the players they would have taken back were Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, who weren't going to do anything. So they wanted players that could help them win now. And, you know, Sarge, 25, kind of fits into their timeline a little bit more. Um, and, and ironically, the thing that maybe – propelled this trade to happen as soon as it did or as recently as it did was that the fact that they weren't winning now with with, with Butler. Um, basically, Thibodeau realized, you know, he wanted to keep Butler as long as possible because he thought that he gives it, having Butler gives him the best chance to win. And, you know, they went 0-5 on that road trip. They're 0-8 on the road and they're 4-9. So when you're looking at you sit down and you realize, you know, we're keeping this guy to win, but we're not winning. So we might as well just get rid of him and get something in return. And considering those circumstances, getting Covington and Sarge is pretty good. Um, so I want to look at it from the Philly perspective first because, you know, they got the best player in the deal, and I think it's a little bit more of a fascinating dynamic in Philly now. So as I said, you know, the star talent does drive winning in the NBA, but sometimes you have the stars and the fit doesn't really work and it prevents them from being at their best. So that's the question mark, you know, because Butler is a ball-dominant scorer, and the question really is how well will he and his skill set fit in with Simmons and Embiid especially in their half-court offense. You know, we like, you know, Simmons running the floor in transition alongside Butler and Embiid. It's not going to be a problem. But in the half-court offense, when they have to just execute um, against a defense that's settled and, and, you know, locked in, how will it work? Because Butler, you know, Butler has improved his shooting. He's knocking down 37.8% of, of a career-high four-and-a-half attempts per game. But he is not by any means a knockdown shooter when playing off ball. Um, he's not like a Paul George level of shooter. Um, so and then then you have to you know wonder who's going to be the fifth starter in the starting lineup because at at this point you have to move JJ Redick back into it um, just to get his floor spacing alongside Butler and Bede and Simmons um, and then then the question mark is really that fifth starter because you really in my opinion you really cannot go with Markel Fultz anymore uh, because no one's going to guard him off ball and he's going to I mean if you don't have to guard Simmons or Fultz off ball and Butler's not that much of a threat as an off ball player that's going to kill their spacing and offense and forget about Embiid having any room to operate in the post. Um, the, another option, you can go for a, a big lineup and insert Wilson Chandler. Um, but one, he's recovering from injury. Um, and two, he's really not going to help their spacing um, that much. He's a career 34% three-point shooter. So it's not exactly like people are scared to leave him open. Um, 
I think ultimately, and it's a little bit bold for a team that's obviously making this win now trade for Jimmy Butler, but Landry Shamit, their rookie, I think would be honestly be the ideal choice for the starting lineup oh, because wow. because I mean. You don't have to play him big minutes. You just have to play him when the big three is on the floor to maximize the spacing because you've got the ball handler. You don't need any more ball handlers because you've got Simmons and Butler on the floor, and you're going to throw it to Embiid in the post, and he can kind of operate from there. So you just get Shamit and Redick, two of those shooters, just running off screens back and forth, making sure you have two defenders pulled out to the arc, to the perimeter, um, to give more space to Embiid, more space to Butler when he's kind of isolating, going for his mid-range jumpers. I think just the, just the shooting that he can provide in the floor spacing is better than what you can get from Fultz or Chandler in a starting lineup. And then you can let Fultz and Chandler and McConnell kind of run the bench unit, um, and they should also stagger the big three um, of Simmons, Butler, and Embiid. But I think I would go with Landry Shamit just for now, just to see um, what kind of impact his spacing can have compared to... If you put, I mean, if you put Fultz on the floor with this, big, with this starting lineup, even if you have Redick on there, there's just, I just feel there's going to be no room at all for any of the stars to operate. Yeah. No, you're definitely right, and it's going to be, oh man, the the, the fit chemistry-wise, and we're probably talking about the labor between Butler and Simmons and Fultz, is going to be crazy, but yeah, the shooting, I think, is obviously a big deal for Philadelphia, and, and the fact that we have to talk about such intricate ways for them to get the the best shooting on the floor, just because of the dearth of outside shooting that they have, but I'm really excited about Butler and what he brings in late-game shot creation to Philadelphia, because... They're 29th in offensive rating in the fourth quarter this season. They were dead last in the same category last season. So it's been it's been hard. Pick and rolls is not something they kind of do when it gets down to crunch time. Um, and when you can isolate Ben Simmons by just forcing him to shoot and then double up on Embiid, and if Embiid is at any point in time outside of J.J. Redick, your best shooter on the floor, and he shoots 32% from three for his career, you have a problem. So, so that's interesting. But Butler, yeah, you already mentioned he's not the best as far as spacing. He'll, he'll, he'll knock down some threes. He's shot... 36.3% on spot threes throughout the past six seasons. So that's not that's not great. And I also do not like the fit with him and Simmons because, yes, either can create on ball, but the problem is Simmons is not the best off the ball just because of his obvious liabilities there. And that's why I think Jimmy Butler will be better there because he did grow. I mean, he did grow as a, as a star player. He started off playing off ball. Derrick Rose, you know, was there. He He's still a great cutter, still great with off-ball movement. We already talked about the lack of just spot of threes, but that's that's a thing for him. And it gives someone to give the ball to, go, to give the ball to, you know, for the go-to shot. Like, they've desperately been looking for that, while he can also distribute the ball and defend multiple positions. And as we already know with all the other players that they had, it was kind of a give or take across the board, mixing, mixing and matching with those options. Um He's shooting 47% from the field overall, 37.8% from three-point range. I don't know. I think he's not the best, like I said, at spot-up shooting, but I think just having his presence on the floor and someone who can score reliably in the fourth quarter, doesn't he lead the league in fourth-quarter points um, average, I think, right now? I, I think that's the main part. But we, you already mentioned the shooting is, is going to be rough. And uh, outside of you know the creative lineups and, like you said, bringing in other players off the bench and, and Landry Shamed and trying to um, – mix and match, is really going to have to wait until buyout season to kind of get some more shooters like they did last year with Marco Bellinelli and Ursan and Lissova. Yeah, I, I like the point. It, it's going to be good and very helpful for this team to have a go-to guy in the fourth quarter because Simmons really mm-hmm. has never been that. And Embiid, you know, I hate to say wants it. Wants to. Embiid wants to, but when you're operating the post, you know, they can bring a help defender, they can double him, they can trap him. It's, it's a little bit easier, I think, to shut that down. Um, of course, he's still be, he's, Embiid has been unstoppable so far this season, but I feel like just getting a guy in Butler who can isolate 
and create his own shot from anywhere on the floor will be so valuable um, down the stretch of a close game and something that they've needed um, so far. Yeah. Given, given not only the youth and experience that they have from their star players, but also their skill sets. Like Simmons in the half court trying to create his own shot. Is, it, it's, he's most Brutal. likely going to set up somebody else. If he, can't fi- if he can't physically overpower someone to get to the rim, he's going to set somebody else up for a shot. And so I like the idea of having Butler being a go-to guy in crunch time. Um, but yeah, the shooting is an issue. And, and I think depth is, is another issue because, I mean, straight up they traded two um, two starters for one. That's obviously going to you know leave you a little bit of a shorthanded roster. So if you move Redick and, and Shaman to the starting lineup, then you pretty much are looking at having T.J. McConnell, Wilson Chandler, who again is coming back from injury, um, and Mike Muscala as depth pieces. I mean, they have Amir Johnson, but he really hasn't been playing much at all recently. And I'm not sure how much he's going to. Um, they get Muscala back as more of a floor spacing big, which is, again, what they need, more shooting. Um, <laughs> so they still got um, the mid-level exception to use on the buyout market. That can get them a nice shooter. But they could also just look to make another trade for either a shooter that can be a depth piece or maybe just some kind of other wing um, or somebody else because – you know, they need more shooting and they need more bodies to, to carry the minutes load, especially in the regular season. So this team is, is fr- as fresh as possible um, come playoff time. I really wish that Fultz was included in this deal instead of Covington um, because, yeah. you know, then their starting lineup could have been Simmons, Redick, Butler, Covington, and Embiid. And that has enough shooting with Covington's floor spacing and Redick there. Um, and I, I just, I'm not sure what Fultz's value is going to be moving forward. And that's another question is, do you trade Fultz at this point or in the near future, because this trade to me feels like, uh, you know, like the Sixers are saying, OK, we're going all in now. And I think there's no more time to focus on Fultz's development. Like, you know, they were kind of babying him, starting him, you know, giving some opportunities. They were willing to live with his terrible looking three point jumper for the most part. Um, but if he if he continues to play like this, I think his value is only going to decrease moving forward. And I think at this moment, you can probably convince a desperate lottery team to take a swing on him just for some talent upside and use him to maybe get a depth piece or get a shooter or something like that. I would seriously be considering this because I think they've got their big three now for the, for the foreseeable future, and Fultz does not fit in with this big three. That's the important part because Fultz was barely fitting in. Actually, he really was not fitting in at all alongside Simmons and B when they were on the floor. Um, so he's not going to fit in with this big three. His value is probably going to decrease moving forward with the way he's playing. Um, and at some point you're going to run out of time to kind of convince a GM to take an upside swing, um, and trade, you know, a depth piece or a shooter for him. So I would seriously be looking to trade Fultz at this point. I wish he was included in this deal, but I think that's the next move that they could be looking to make. Do you have any thoughts as to why he wasn't included? I honestly don't know. I mean, maybe Thibodeau, um, slash the Wolves just, don't believe in his upside. Maybe they don't want to wait for his upside. Um, I think that's a key thing because Covington is obviously a much better player at the moment and actually can help you win more at the moment. Um, I think it probably was Thibodeau. Even if Thibodeau and the Wolves believe that Fultz can become a good player, they probably, at least Thibodeau himself, wasn't going to be around for that and didn't care about that. Um, or the other thing is that they just don't think he's going to be a good player moving forward and they'd rather have Covington to help them win now and for the next couple of years. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely glad that they went with, um, uh, from Minnesota perspective, with Covington, then with Fultz, just because, I mean, it, 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 that having a wing player like that, or that, that is a solid 3 and D guy that's going to, you know, that, that, that like you said, solid 3 and D guy that's going to kind of fit in well. He has the kind of profile to kind of fit in wherever pretty good, just because the type of player that he is. And you can obviously start him alongside. I mean, now it brings up those interesting Wiggins or Covington uh, um, scenarios as far as matchup-wise 
with Towns and, and kind of clears that up a little better. I mean, as far as service, um, having those tangible qualities that you want for a team that, they're, come on, they're not in the mix to contend, but like they, they want to make the playoffs, you know? But yeah. I'm actually looking for, um, let me see, I'm, I'm running this through the trade machine right now. I'm going to run it by you. It's successful. Okay. Markel folds to Phoenix for Josh Jackson and Troy Daniels. Hmm, that that is interesting. I mean, Jackson is Jackson your, uh-huh. is probably. I think Jackson at this point is probably in the same boat as Fultz, as in like there exactly. are some serious question marks regarding oh. his ability to be a good player. Moving, I mean, he's fallen out of Phoenix's rotation, which is. Completely. I mean, can it get any worse than that? I, I don't think it can. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you if you've fallen out of the Suns' rotation at this point, where the team is, then you're in trouble. Well, yeah, I get you on that. I mean, the thing I like to say is that. Well, Trevor Reza, he yeah, he hasn't played better than Trevor Reza. And Mikael Bridges has just been playing so well. You're right, but that that's not that's damning with faint praise for Josh Jackson. But I, the reason I say that is because you get a shooter in Troy Daniels, who's on that one year deal, who he can shoot. I mean, I'm not sure how he's been playing so well in Phoenix's year. I don't even think he's had much very much run on injured or something. But you have a shooter there. And then in Josh Jackson, yeah, it's he's uh like he's another wing. If at worst, he's a wing that can at least bring I don't know. He's like, I wouldn't put, oh man, my stock has fallen so low on Josh Jackson. It never was that high to begin with. I'm trying to think of some quality attributes to give him. He brings energy. Um, he has some off the ball creativity and he'll play defense. Another wing player. You can never have enough wings. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was a decent trade for one kind of uh, checkmarked young prospect for another and a shooter in the short term while you pick up one in the bio market. Yeah, I think, I think like the, the, idea of a trade that you have like the setup of the of the framework of, of using of getting using folds to get a shooter and some other kind of you know either a prospect or some kind of wing i think that makes a lot more sense i think mean, it makes a lot of sense because that's what they need they need a shooter and they need depth um you know i don't know they Phoenix have, just needs a point guard <laughs> that's true um they have i mean they have some other assets that they could probably use to get you know someone like like even like a, just like kyle corver um yeah just like right. using a pick or something or picking you know some far off depth piece to get Corver, you know, I think that's something they should definitely look into considering yeah. they've got some picks coming in. Um, they've got a 2019 second round pick coming from Chicago, a 2019 pick, second round pick coming from Milwaukee or Sacramento, whichever is the more favorable of those two. They've got two 2020 second round picks. Um, they've got three second round picks in 2021. Like they can just combine a bunch of seconds and get like, get like a guy like Kyle Corver and like a depth piece or whatever. Um, that's what, I think I think that's one of the first moves I would be looking to make. Um, not even for Corver, just a shooter in general. Just use like a second round pick and some depth piece, uh, or two seconds and a depth piece to get a a, call, a quality shooter. Um, and you know the, the other thing is it's kind of unrelated but still related to their roster is that this obviously changes their free agency a little bit in 2019. But you know they still even when they resign Butler to that deal. Um, they can still create some significant cap space to add another piece or maybe even two pieces next summer around this big three because if they renounce their rights to their own free agents, except TJ McConnell, they can keep his rights, they would still have about $20 million to spend. And that can get you like two solid pieces um, mm-hmm. depending on who wants to go there. They're going to, I mean, if this goes well this season, they're going to be an attractive team because they're going to be a really competitive team that has a chance to make the finals, you know, moving forward. So, and, and the important thing for the Sixers is that 2019 free agency would be their last opportunity to really spend because 
the following season, Simmons is going to get his new deal. Embiid will already be on his max. And Butler, of course, is going to get his max deal this summer. So that's going to you know, completely cap them out. So this summer, with that $20 million, that's going to be their last opportunity to spend. They've got to, A, spend it right, um, and B, be able to attract the players' shooters and death pieces and some multi-positional wings around this big three, and they can become even scarier next season than they are you know, already at this point. Yeah, that, I'm very much sure. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do moving forward with that. Would you, if you were Philadelphia, extend Jimmy Butler? I'm just saying right now, if you were like, not, not, I mean, extend them not right now, but have plans, would you even entertain that right now? Or would you want to wait and see first and then go from there? I mean, I, I, at this point. Because they're in a spot, uh-huh, sorry. I was just saying, at this point, like, if I, if I was like Sixers, if I was Elton Brand right now sitting in my office, there I would, go, my Brand. plan right now would be to re-sign him, but that could change if this just does not work out in any way. Like, if they, if they, like, lose in the first round or get swept in the second round, I mean, you you, you try to negotiate a, a, maybe a four-year max instead of a five, like the Rockets did with Chris Ball, who looks horrible. Um, I was going to say, great, great, great example. <laughs> um, but it's a similar situation, even though Paul's 33 and Butler's only 29. So, I mean, but Butler has the miles and the injury risk um, on him. He's 33 in dog years or Tibbs. <laughs> Tibbs years. Um, <laughs> Wolf years. <laughs> I think uh, the point, I mean, the plan as of now in my opinion, would be to re-sign Butler because you have you make this trade and you bank on him staying healthy and being productive for at least the first two to three years of that deal. Um, and then you, you honestly, with that core for the next two or three years, depending on what happens in the East with Raptors and if Kawhi stays um, with the Celtics and the development of their young guys or if they somehow make a trade for another star, like the Sixers would have serious finals, champ, finals potential. And who knows, if KD leaves the Warriors, they might have championship potential. So you never know what's going to happen a year from now. My plan at this point, if I was the Sixers, would be to re-sign him. But if this blows up or if they don't do well in the playoffs, I would think about it. I think I ultimately would still pull the trigger because – I mean, they would have money to spend if they don't re-sign him, I guess, um, on other players. But at this point, my plan would be to re-sign him unless this drastically blows up, which it could, given the personalities that are going to be in this locker room now. Yeah, and that's another thing, I guess, that has to be talked about, the personalities. Because, you know, I think Joel Embiid and Jim Butler are going to get off just fine. I don't think it's going to be an issue there. I think Simmons and Fultz could definitely be with the way that Jimmy is. And not that there's any, um, like, I have any thoughts or anything one way or the other about how Fultz and, and, and Simmons operate, but just I thought Jimmy Butler was more of a um, what is it called? Um, what do you call low-maintenance superstar? Mm-hmm. And I think if anything, even when Chicago happened, that just seemed that was more, I was more against Chicago and the way that they treated the whole thing than Jimmy Butler and whatever he brought or did not bring to the table to add to that recipe of dysfunction. But watching the way he just conducted himself in Minnesota, I mean, I am a little bit concerned. I'm not going to lie to you. As far as, yeah, he wants to win. He says all the right things. He just wants to win. You know, that's his one kind of one thing. No matter what he does off the court, no matter how big a distraction he is, his teammates know that he's loyal and yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, it didn't show itself in Minnesota, especially toward the end, where it got really ugly. You know, it was okay maybe the first two weeks, forever awkward it was. And after that, it was just like, whoa. That is just it was just you knew it was dysfunctional. I don't know how the team was able to work through it and still be good. And had him, you know, deciding when or when he wasn't gonna play, and then being with the team in the locker room but not coming out and sit with the team at the bench and and whatever have you. Uh, do you all that to say, do you think that there might be at least something to even monitor with that, or is it just kinda overblown? Let's see what happens first. No, I think that there is. I mean, I think Embiid is a strong personality, we know that. And this is his team. I mean, he he was the face of the process. He's still the, the best player probably on the team right now. And this, oh, is, yeah. his, this is his team. 
Um, I'm yeah, like you said, I'm more interested to see how Butler gets along with Simmons and Fultz, and especially on those nights where Fultz is going to struggle and you know not look like he really wants to be there, and Simmons has those kind of aloof nights where he's like engaged but not really, and he's inconsistent. Yeah. Like, I want to see how Butler interacts with Simmons and Fultz, whose personalities. I think a little bit closer to Towns and Wiggins than Embiid's are. Embiid is a strong personality. I feel like he's not going to be like Towns at all. And, you know, he's going to be, you know, he'll confront in the locker room. And that's probably what's good for them to actually have confrontations instead of just, you know, brushing it aside. Simmons and Fultz, you know, remind me a little bit more like um, Towns and, and Wiggins. Uh, obviously, I don't yeah. know them personally, but just, you know, based off what we can see on social media and, and how they interact on the game and sometimes how they can kind of disappear from moments of games as well. So I'm more interested to see how Butler gets along with them than I am with him and Embiid. I think that'll work out a little bit better. I'm right there with you. I feel the exact same way. I don't really have any concerns over Embiid, but that's something. And then for the Timberwolves, how do you think Carl Anthony Towns will respond? Because honestly, I'm just not that – I mean, you've I've already gotten some heat for it. I'm not as high on Carl Anthony Towns in general. Yeah, he has great talent, but – that mind part of it, you know, the mental intensity and the toughness outside of some dunks and some yells. I mean, he has some flashes like, I don't want to say, you know how Kevin Garnett used his emotion and got amped up for the game? Like, whenever Carlton Towns does it to me sometimes, it feels like he's amping himself up, like like more self-affirmation. Yeah, I'm, I'm bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like, I don't feel it with him. I don't feel like he's that, like he's that player. Like, I, even now, the stage is set for him and Andrew Wiggins to be, well, him first and Andrew Wiggins second to be, more, you know, more prominent role. The the, the team is going to go as far as as far as those two take them. However, well D Rose continues to play, and however much longer um, Coach Tibbs gives him that leash, it's not. We all know that it's Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. But we already have our thoughts on Andrew Wiggins and his lack of intensity at key moments and drifting out, doing nothing really much more than putting the ball in the basket or attempting to. Fine, whatever. What's the verdict on Carl Anthony Towns? Because I have, I think, an overly negative version, but I think what we saw from him this season is just him. I mean, he's had games, even now, I, I don't like to say, oh, Jimmy Butler was such a distraction for him and the team. Because guess what? Jimmy Butler was a distraction for the whole team. And he didn't play in a lot of these games. And it wasn't like Carl Anthony Towns really picked up the tempo when he was gone. Yeah. And, and let's move on to the Timberwolves' perspective because this does set up Towns to just, you know, I'm interested to see how he operates without Butler. Um, because right now, I mean, moving forward, Towns just be able to eat offensively. He should be getting all the shots, uh, the most shots per game. Of, of course, there are so many nights where he's not. He's like third in shot shot attempts, which is ridiculous. Um, especially if you put Dario Sarge next to him, he really should be able to eat offensively at least. Um, Sarge provides more spacing than, say, Taj Gibson does. Um, he has the pieces around him, like Covington is another shooter. Um, he has the pieces to eat offensively now. I want to see him get more aggressive. Um, you know, so far this season, he's dipped down only basically by one point per game at 20 points per game, but he's, his rebounding has fallen off. His assists have fallen off. He's blocking more shots. Um, he's still an elite 40% shooter on basically five attempts per game, um, which is elite. And he's a monster offensively. Um, and we just need to see that on a night-to-night basis, and they're going to need it on a night-to-night basis for them to be competitive because they don't have another off alpha male 22-point-per-game score in Jimmy Butler. They've got two nice role players now in Covington and Sarge, but those role players are there to support Carl Anthony Towns. So, it, listen, it, it's really much... It's not. I wouldn't say it's now or never for Towns, but this is a big... Moving forward, the rest of the season is a big opportunity for him to show that he can be the guy on a team that's competitive or at least somewhere around 500 or, or maybe even a winning team I'm not saying they have to make the playoffs but they're four and nine now let's see how they finish the season and a lot of that's going to depend on how Carl Anthony Towns operates and how he leads this team moving forward yep 
actually, this is a whole random, random question, but I like to ask this to myself every time a major trade happens. I'm about to bust it out here on the 94 NBA podcast for the first time to you, Eric. What team now, with both trades being done, would you rather play with in 2K? Honestly, I'm not even, like this is a, probably a weird answer, but it might be the Timberwolves just because I Same. think the, the roster fits a little bit better. Same. Yep. I mean, especially the way I play with four spacing and, you yeah. know, you have two clear elements or two clear players to kind of work with. Um, Philadelphia, the shooting and the depth is still very much an issue, but it's a random question. <laughs> Guess what? We do a, a full comprehensive breakdown of the trade from all angles. Exactly. Angle, <laughs> um, but that does <laughs> speak to something that the fit here is more seamless. You know, just having Robert Covington slot in at the three and Sarge, I think, should start at the four, though I would not be surprised to see Tibbs still, you know, stick with Taj Gibson at the at the four. Oh um, yeah, Gibson's been shooting threes. He's our floor space we've always wanted. Sorry, <laughs> that was my Tibbs voice. Um, really? Ice. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> um, really, what should happen is Covington and Sarge start in the front court alongside Towns, and then you make yep. Taj Gibson the backup center and Anthony Tolliver the backup power forward, yes. and that is their ideal front court rotation. Um, because you look at the start, potential starting lineup, Teague, Wiggins, Covington, Sarge, Towns. That's a nice, you know, balanced, you know, lineup. There's really nothing. Yeah, besides, not shooting. besides Covington, there's nothing really defensively on that roster, uh, in that lineup. But again, they don't defend to begin with. They're 30th in the league, according to Cleaning the Glass, um, in defensive rating this season. So um, they're not going to defend anyways. And at least they've got some shooting and they've got Sarge as another playmaker, you know, in the front court, which is something they've kind of lacked. Um, then again, Thibodeau doesn't really run a very, you know, unique or innovative offense. So I'm not really, I don't really feel compelled to believe that Covington and Sarge will thrive there as well as they did in in Philadelphia, playing alongside Embiid um, and Simmons and all these screens and, you know, the way Brett Brown runs the offense. So that could be a reason for potential decline from a guy like Covington as a role player. Um, and then off the bench, you know, they have they have Rose, Josh Okoji, Anthony Tolliver, like I mentioned, Gibson, Tyus Jones when he plays. Um, listen, they're still, they're still light on shooting and defense for sure. Um, but the the pieces they're getting in return are a seamless fit for this roster, especially alongside Towns, which I think is the most important part when you're looking for a return for for the trade. Yeah, and and like you said, having this this pecking order very clearly established is going to be so much better for Minnesota, I think, locker room wise. Where it was weird, Jim Butler was clearly their be- their best player even after he led the third stringers to victory, even with him playing only half the games and resting his body and quote unquote. I think I think by the way, quick aside, I think we can call the rest and over. I think that's over with. He gave such a great excuse about you know his body getting back and not him not having a training camp and yada 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 whatever. But uh, I think it's safe to say that. In Philadelphia, all of a sudden he'll be he'll be just fine. I don't think he'll be resting every other game. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so that, uh, that's that is true. <laughs> that's just a wild guess. But um, yeah, it's a clear pecking order in Minnesota, which I think will do wonders on their team just in general. Again, I'm just concerned on whether how Carl Anthony Towns will face that pressure, him being the the big key piece. And, and this is another question I have for you here. Obviously, with Jimmy Butler, the Philadelphia 76ers, with their with their depth issues, with their you know lack of outside shooting across the board are still, you know, they're firmly now in the upper echelon of the East as if they weren't before. Where does this put Minnesota? Because they were already in the, I mean, I didn't even have to make the playoffs with Jimmy Butler, um, much less after the the trade request. But we even said that we would hold out a verdict on that until after we see what came back to Minnesota. So now that we know what's here, what do we think now? I mean, they're four and nine, and, and the the good thing for them is that the West really isn't too strong so far. The eighth seed is just the Kings, and they're seven and six. Um, and you know, 
the teams like the Rockets, you know, could bounce back, or the Rockets could just be a mediocre team this year, and the Kings, you know, probably going to fall back down a little bit. So it's not like the A seed is like this like ten and four team, so they're not really that far off. But I mean, barring like an absurd before, and Towns will be absurd on most nights. I think I think he's going to step it up a little bit more. He's obviously going to have a bigger role. Um, I just think that they're going to fall short, you know, with the way Thibodeau plays. Um, just he's he's just too kind of an archaic coach. I mean, they're thirtieth defensively, which is uh, unacceptable, really. Um, and there's not enough shooting on this floor on the on the team. Um, the nights when Towns is quiet, who's going to really step up now? They don't have a Butler to do that. You're not going to really rely on Covington or Sarge to like be the guy on a night to night basis. You know, alongside Towns, Wiggins, we already know what we've got from he's him. He's the million dollar man. He'll have to come through. He's oh. going to have to, but really, what, what, is there any <laughs> really? indication that he's going to? Like, he's just gonna. No. He's going to put up the numbers and not really do anything to impact winning. Um, I, I think they're they're not going to make the playoffs. I, I think they're going to be stuck in that terrible like tenth seed team that's like not good enough for a high pick, but not in the in the playoffs. And they'll be stuck with that. And then this summer, they really won't have much flexibility, so they're kind of stuck with this roster. So I mean, they got I think they got a nice return, but I don't think this really bodes well and sets them up, you know, for competitive you know seasons moving forward. I agree. I was going to say ninth or tenth, just out because I don't. I don't have faith in their upper echelon talent, um, and that's just that's just is what it is. Flexibility is limited. Coach Chibs, as you said, just kind of not archaic, backwards type coaching, and the the innovative ways that you could work with this roster. We can be certain that Tibble will not use. So there we are with that. Um, and then we were talking about the 76ers, but I think I just can't wait to see them in action. I think the first time the trade has to go through, I think officially on Monday. So then the earliest that the Timberwolves will play with their new acquisitions Wednesday against the Pelicans. And that'll be a very good, I mean, this is the first time that we see them in action. So I'm not really going to put too much stock into it, but it will be cool. It will be interesting to see. And the 76ers play the heat tomorrow, but then they play the Magic on Wednesday, coincidentally, as well. So I think that's when we'll see both new acquisitions for both teams suit up and kind of see just how it starts. I think the only one that I'm really going to – only reason I'm really going to look at the Timberwolves game, not to really see how Covington and Sarge fit, because I don't think they're system players. I think they just fit the type of player that they are, the archetypes that they have as players. I think they'll just fit. Um, Jimmy Butler to the 76 is definitely a much more of a – not even a culture switch, but just a monumental switch in game plan and identity and all of that. But also I think it's going to be cool to see – or not cool. It will be interesting to see how Carl Anthony does – or Anthony Towns does now. Like he's the guy I'm looking at. Wiggins I don't think he's going to have much variance in this play regardless. Um, Carl Anthony Towns has such ups and downs. It, it will be cool to see what he is now like with Butler out the picture. We can't rely on the dysfunction of Butler because Butler is gone. That 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 I don't want to say cancer, but whatever um part well I guess, whatever part of the team that that was kind of leading to that decay is cut off. So so what excuse do you have now? You know exactly. And the Sixers become you know must watch basically moving forward, oh, especially yeah. in the early couple uh, of games with this with this new roster. And really, the East becomes so significantly more intriguing now because I mean, look at that top four: Raptors, Bucks, Celtics, Seventy Sixers. Can you imagine the second round playoff series we're going to get? Hopefully, among all those four teams. Um, I mean, I have to see more from the Celtics, Bucks, and Sixers before I kind of properly evaluate those four. I think I'd still have the Raps at the top for now. You know, I think the Sixers have the most top-end talent, but I think the fit might hold back that talent a little bit. Meanwhile, the Raptors' roster is just maximized for their play style. The Bucks oh, is man, as well. The Celtics, well. you know, should bounce back. So I don't want to dive into that, but just some random thought is just how loaded the East is at the top. And honestly, the East is more compelling and more interesting by far than the Western Conference this season, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how that happened. No one would have saw that coming. I know I wouldn't have. I mean, even with the West not having a clear second um, 
tier team as far as like who's right behind the Warriors. With the way Houston's just self-destructed down the stretch so far, it's even less likely because I don't really feel have confidence. I guess it'd be Utah in any of them. But with the Eastern Conference, yeah, with those four teams, every time they match up, and TNT has some combination of those teams coming for the next couple of weeks. I mean, not the next couple of weeks, all season. It's going to be interesting to see how they stack up. The Raptors are already playing well. The Celtics, we, we, we assume, will get hit their stride pretty soon once they get all um, cohesive and everything. The 76 with Jimmy Butler's, bam. I mean, the Bucks, uh, the Pacers are still in the mix, although they're clearly a tier below. Um, yeah, it's this this trade actually worked, if anything, for the Eastern Conference. They've, they're made stronger. Absolutely. And what if Jimmy Butler is named, because um, they'll probably be an all-star in the East. I don't think there's really a question about that. What if he's uh, named, uh, well, actually, I guess he wouldn't be named captain of the East. Ah, forget it. <laughs> I had a question. I was going to say that'd be kind of fun, but then he, he's, he won't be named captain. That's for certain. Um, all right, so that'll do it for our trade analysis. Let's briefly end the show talking about a new report um, that came out on Saturday is that the Rockets are, and Melo are, I think Waj you know, phrased it as, discussing the way that they can move forward. It was something so, you know, kind of bland and generic. Um, Whoa, CMZ. Yeah, but we got a new tweet from Mark Stein just a couple of minutes ago, and he says, the Rockets have denied they are waving Carmelo Anthony, but two sources close to the situation say Anthony has been informed that his brief time with the team will soon be ending. Anthony has been listed as out for Houston's game tonight against the Indiana Pacers due to illness. Of course, he was out last night due to quote-unquote illness. Um... Looks like they're going to wave him. That's, I mean, that tweet, that tweet sounds like they're going to That's wave him. That's not even him. 10 minutes ago. That's breaking news up here, bro. <laughs> it sounds Whoa. like the mellow Houston experience is over as soon as maybe tomorrow or you know probably by their next game after tonight because he's not playing this one. Um, and based off by the numbers... Um, we were talking about this before we went on air. They've just been they've been so bad with him on the floor. Um, it's that... You know, they basically looked at it and said, "Hey, Gary Clark has been a solid defensive player as his kind of as his undrafted rookie, which of course they sure they did not expect at all. Um, uh-huh. And when this team is healthy, they probably were thinking, you know, we're not going to play you, Melo. So do you either want a complete bench role, and we're talking like end of bench role, you know, playing in garbage time, playing on nights where the team isn't healthy, or do you want to be released? That's probably what happened. Um, they have a minus nine net rating with him on the floor. Um, the defense is nine point six. Uh, points per 100 possessions worse when he's on the floor, which ranks in the seventh percentile, according to Cleaning the Glass. He's just been, he's not hitting his open shots, which again kills so much of his value because playing alongside Paul and Harden, you've got to hit your open shots because he's not going to be the guy to get, he's not going to create his own shots. So when he's not hitting open threes and he's obviously a huge negative defensively, I mean, what are you, what are you going to do with him? You're not going to, you, do really, you really don't want to play him when Gary Clark's actually been a solid defensive player so far. Um, and this team is desperate for energy and those guys that are hungry after last season. A lot of this team is seems not very hungry after uh, winning 65 games. So looks like the, the mellow to Rockets tenure is ending as soon as, you know, in the next couple of days. That's crazy. Any, any early uh, thoughts on where he would go back to Atlanta? Oh, <laughs> I mean, we were talking about this on air. I mean, I, I, there's no assurance that the Lakers would sign him, but it feels like that would be the only team that would add him, though, at this point because of the LeBron connection. But even then, maybe LeBron and the Lakers just realize, like, listen, if the Rockets can't do anything with him, who who can, honestly, at this point? Yeah, I mean, that's very true. I mean, and, and that was the best. I mean, actually, no, I, I thought that fit was going to be horrible. I thought last year it was going to be great because, remember, we thought, oh, they might make a trade. Aren't you guys so glad? As bad as Houston been playing. Remember when there was talks that Houston might trade for Carmelo? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you guys would have had the experience that he had with 
<laughs> the Thunder last year, that would have just been rough. And then now, just seeing him play this way, yeah, I mean, this was his best possible chance, in my opinion. I mean, he would hope that the Warriors would pick him. I'm kidding. But, um, like, there's no other team. There's no team that's going to, like, just reclaim him. That doesn't – I mean, I'm sure you'll – watch. We're talking about the Lakers and whatever, and someone like the Pistons might swoop up and grab them or whatever. But it's kind of a shame to see uh, where, where he is on this. I mean, I mean, it's just – I feel bad for Melo because, I mean, this is a guy who was one of the marquee players, you know, from, like, I want to say 2009 to 2014. That was, like, definitely just, like I said, marquee. But to see his lack or, or resistance into changing um, to changing roles and just meeting, um, I don't know, just becoming more of a, of a as, as his body's age. Not everyone could be LeBron James. I mean, LeBron James is still a top-tier player in year 16, at age 33 other players i mean Dwayne wade realized um what l- end of last year or the year before that that hey i might need to change my role Melo has resisted at every turn and it's unfortunate oh by the way more breaking news rockets gm daryl moore with address the media at four uh four exactly that was 19 minutes ago so i guess for my time which is in an hour that's really this is just yep yeah for my time this yeah. is just you know suspicious specific time. it's so weird how this is being handled i think it might be for central time which would make it five my time because i see on my time i'm on twitter right now and there are people are saying that there's no more yet so maybe he's he's running late um, oh so maybe yeah because it's three months so it might be central time then yeah um okay so well we're well, not gonna stick go. around to watch that live no but, we will uh, not <laughs> so basically mellow's gone and wow by the, i guess by the time we have our next episode which will be with special guest jackson frank by the way um Hey, hey, we're gonna probably gonna be talking about Melo being released, and maybe by then he has a new team, or maybe he's still just kind of waiting. Um, but yeah, that'll wrap up this this special episode <laughs> of the ninety four NBA podcast. A lot of, of breaking news this weekend. Obviously, the Butler deal is a lot more important. Um, so, <laughs> excuse me. So yeah, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Um, Corbin, you can always throw out where people can follow and engage with you. Oh, I, I just copied you, except put Corbin Ford at the beginning. Corbin Ford NBA. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but follow me there, y'all. Come on. And then, like I always say at the end of our podcast here, a lot of big stuff um, at the 94 um, website coming out as far as podcasts, basically every morning, content out, our, our, our Twitter feed. I mean, I'm behind that. Conversations. We're going to do some live streams and stuff. Not live streams, but live um, uh, halftime coverage, ask questions, Periscope, stuff like that coming up. So just stay tuned and uh, stay woke. Exactly. So follow us. Um, we'll be back next weekend with our, our usual episode. Um, Hopefully. And uh, have a great week of NBA basketball. Um, and enjoy watching the new Sixers and the new Timberwolves and wherever Carmelo Anthony ends up. And uh, take care. All right, y'all.